friends, welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This podcast series furthers our mission to support our community as we seek to promote the advancement of women in the securities finance marketplace. We hope you leave today with a broader perspective or ideas about ways to further your network and career. Or perhaps a deeper education on important business changes in our marketplace. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, my name is Rowena Kim. I currently work at RBC Capital Markets as a director on the equity finance desk within the central funding group. Also, I am a co-lead with my partner in crime, as we like to call each other, MJ Schisler from BMO Capital Markets. I'll pass it to her to do some introductions. Thanks, Ro, and thanks everyone for joining. Like Ro said, my name is MJ Schussler. I'm with BMO Capital Markets and work on the equity finance desk, supporting our prime brokerage and financing business. We're really lucky to have Samir Drolia here with us today. He's with BCI, and I will let him do the honors. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and to join you on this podcast. Myself, I'm originally from Toronto, born and raised, and have spent about 20 years outside of Canada, living in multiple countries always in the same space of cross-asset derivatives. I joined BCI about six years ago, and over here I'm responsible for our trading business, our derivative business, our beta portfolio management, and our securities financing business. BCI is a little bit different than other organizations and other pensions across Canada. We have sort of a multi client structure where it gets quite complex, whereas you might have out east just a pension dedicated to teachers and other pension maybe could be dedicated to nurses. BCI is about 35 different pensions and insurance organizations that roll up into our asset management arm. That adds up to roughly over 200 billion in AUM, and I'm responsible for about just shy of 40 of that. Wow, yeah, that's a huge mandate. What we really wanted to get into today is a lot of the stuff that you've been doing on the business side, but also on the DE&I side. So first, we'll talk a little bit about the evolution and what you've seen. And I think BCI has done some very key market-leading things when it comes to DE&I. And I thought we could start with that and maybe on the mentorship side, but you could dive into a little bit of that. Sure. Myself, living and working with a family with three kids in different jurisdictions, having lived in China and Hong Kong and then living in London or living in New York, I've definitely come across different ways of doing DNI. And I can't stress enough how valuable different perspectives at the table and how diversity of thought really helps ignite the wisdom of a crowd, basically, that's working on something. At BCI, we've definitely come a long way for sure. I think when we first started, it was something that the awareness level was not that high. Organizations such as yourself, Women in Capital Markets, we started getting involved in that. We also started getting involved in almost a random pairing of mentor-mentee type of relationships. They were randomly paired. I just happened to get paired with women in our organization, and I firsthand get to hear some of the struggles and different things that they are experiencing in a complex organization. And we've come a very long way. There's still a lot of work to do, but I feel that at BCI, everything from putting a job description together to make sure it's fair, to making sure an interview process is fair, and ensuring that we always have a solid measure of 
fairness that is taking place throughout different parts of the organization. So nobody feels that they may be left out for whatever reason it may be. I think we learned a lot from the pandemic. It was very hard on a lot of people. Mental health is a big issue also. So when you start putting many of these things together and talking to staff, sometimes it can feel like it's an unsolvable problem, but nothing is impossible. So I think we run to this challenge at BCI of trying to ensure fairness, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm curious about when you're partnered through the mentorship program with a female, as you said, and perhaps it would have been one of your first experiences being paired up with a female. What was your advice at the time and would it be different now as you grew into your leadership style? Yeah, I think when you are put in that position, obviously there's a lot of trust. And a mentor-mentee relationship at BCI is very separate than career advice. So if you get paired with someone, you know, there's people that try to move departments or something like that. This may not be the best transmission device to use. But if you want to ask, how do I ask my boss for a raise? How do I deal with this hypothetical situation? In the beginning, I was paired with medium to junior staff, and it was quite straightforward because it was career advice heavy. Now, when you run a large business and you deal with very senior women who might be paired with you, you really start to understand how smart and talented people are that are out there and their struggle to get to that senior role. And when you listen to that, many times I'm learning something too, what people have gone through. And a lot of the traditional mindsets are starting to change. The wind is blowing in the right direction. And I think that anytime you try to attract superior talent, if you are not actively adding, in addition to merit, balancing your search, you could be missing out on a tremendous pool of talent. And I've heard every excuse about, all oh, these people are not in the industry. There's no one applying from that subset of the population. No, go back, try again. Search harder. Nothing is impossible. And I believe if you take your time, you will find the right person and you can include DE&I as part of that process. And so considering your background that you come from a long sales side background, as well as experience in Asia, where you also are not going to see a lot of historically PE&I and things like that in that industry. And as you have now shifted into BCI and really living that true belief and growing that DE&I and encouraging the right talent to be in the right place, what were sort of the fundamentals that you brought along with you during your growth in order to see this vision that you carry out today? I think when you live in your company, the mindset is it has to reflect your local environment. So when I was in Asia, I was probably the only one that looked different. You're in a country where there's a billion plus people. It's very hard to suddenly force DNI. So there are natural limits, obviously. But I was living in a subset in Hong Kong, which had a very big expat culture. And we had people from France, from India, from Canada, you name it, Ghana. We had people from all over the world who had been transported through their organizations through one umbrella, expat, and all of a sudden you're on a trading floor and you're listening to multiple languages. It could have been very easy to say, look, you know, you're here and this is not going to work, DNI. We have to kind of deal with the environment. But now that organizations are global, 
BCI recognizes that too. We live in a very small secluded part of Canada. And if you look around the environment here, this is not very diverse. But if you look at our organization, it reflects Canada and the international pool of talent that you can attract. And I think once you accept that, you know, and there are some costs in immigration and bringing people over, but ultimately, if you have a dollar to spend on superior talent and you just limit it to your local environment, you might not be getting the best bang for your buck. And if you open it up and say, we can do things internationally, like recently BCI opened office in New York, we're opening an office in London, we're accessing local pools of talent over there. And immediately you start to see diversity because those places reflect the diverse environment where in Victoria, it can be sort of skewed one way, but our organization is very diverse and, and you start to see a lot of that. So that takes an effort. And I think that takes a very good partnership with your HR department to say, well, we put it on LinkedIn. We've got a little bit of this, that let's push it again. Let's use different agencies. Who's focused on this area? Because I want to attract the most superior talent that I can find because we're willing to pay a reflective salary to get that person here. Now, a lot of people don't want to move. Flex work has helped a lot. That's added a whole new window to be able to get all kinds of people. In the pandemic, we learned a lot about mental health and different things that people are dealing with at home, trying to balance a family, trying to balance work, maybe even a sick parent or something like that. But we only got to see that one person shielding all that. Now that's kind of become like, how can we help you balance that? And flex work has helped that. And again, once you offer flex, you can start looking way, way outside your environment to attract all kinds of talent. And really at that point, you're blind to a lot of these biases. So it's a really nice addition to the ability to hire is what I find. Yeah, I think the flex work has gone a long way with a lot of people. I mean, men and women, it certainly helps. A lot of really great points. It sounds like you're a true ally to women and women in leadership. Really interesting about everything that BCI is doing in terms of finding those pockets and whether it's opening further locations or using different agencies or just stretching beyond what normal stretch can be. So just one more point on that is a little bit more if I can tap into when you are mentoring the topic of advice you give on, on women wanting to get to more senior roles. You know, you talked a lot about what BCI is doing to try to attract that talent. And what about the growth of the talent that exists there? What kind of advice do you give to women today? Well, today we have a system internally that we use in my group called COMA. And what that means is everything clear, observable, measurable, auditable, and achievable. And that's sort of the principle that we use to say, okay, in a hiring process, did we use a very fair process? Internal versus external, external versus external, internal versus internal. And did we actively do everything we could to balance merit and diversity? So for example, the beta portfolio management part of my business is run by a female. She's extremely talented. She runs over $35 billion for me. She didn't just get to that post all of a sudden. We started talking when she was a senior associate portfolio manager. How do I get to a senior portfolio manager? And if I can say, here are some clear steps of the work that's required. So let's just kind of transpose a senior portfolio manager job description and look at it for a second and compare it to what you do today. What are the skill sets that are required? And 
we have to make sure we don't confuse satisfying a curiosity with experience. And that is a key differentiator for us. During an interview process, we can meet people that may say that they have 20 years of experience, but actually they only have one year of experience. They've been just doing the same thing for 20 years. And so as someone who's very senior in a firm, we wanted to show, can you have multiple levels of experience in doing different things? In my example, derivatives is one area of experience. Securities financing is another area of experience. Portfolio management is another area of experience. Trading is another area of experience. These hours are non-standard. A lot of people don't sign up to work for 18 hours a day, eight days a week. All of these things you want to sign up for. And slowly through coaching and through investing in our staff, making sure they have the right courses, the right exposure, and having an open door policy to ask a lot of questions, a promotion process takes place. And it's not only me, it's other people that are involved at the table. And those other people involved at the table will tell me, Samir, I'm not sure who this person is. And why are you promoting them to such a senior level? And that's where we kind of bring in this visibility component in our organization. Go out, have a coffee with people meet people in other areas, try to understand what everybody does. That's a little bit more difficult with Flex, but if you take that initiative and go meet senior people, have coffees with them, tell them where you're trying to get to and ask them what are the best ways to get there, ask HR for a course, I'll sign off on it. And eventually when that whole package comes together, you suddenly see, okay, well, I saw the staff that you're putting forward here today present at a client. And the client was very impressed with the way she presented or he presented. This person took a very complicated thing and made it very simple and got approval. We have a multi-client structure. So here, visibility means almost going out to 35 different boards and trustees and dealing with firefighters, nurses, or whoever it may be, and taking a complex financial concept and trying to get it approved. That takes a lot of talent. And so we don't expect the person to wake up in the morning and just have the ability to do that. So I think if you find people that are willing to work hard and want to get into leadership roles and you invest in them as an organization, you provide tools and exposure for them. Look, everybody's going to trip and fall at some point, but it's how you get up. And if you fall forward, it's fine. You know, everybody's not expected to be perfect. And so that's how we, at least in my case, to get someone running a very large amount of money and who started off at a mid-roll to a very senior role. So, Samira, congratulations on your centralized trading white paper that you released. I wanted to shift into that, but also just bridging this conversation with DE&I. There was a part of the white paper where it stated that centralized dealings present an opportunity to integrate ESG factors at all stages of the investment process. Now, ESG being just so new, everyone has a very unique definition of how they see ESG and what part of DE&I is integrated into ESG. And I'm just curious to know how you define ESG in this context and whether DE&I fits into that in relation to your white paper. Thanks for mentioning the white paper. Yeah, it's something that definitely as an organization we've worked on for multiple years. And really the paper is firstly about the centralized trading principle and how it adds value to BCI's clients. By aggregating everything that we do 
and all of our trading functions and all of our portfolio management and asset allocation trades, there's significant value that's added by shopping at one store. I think in a recent article, somebody had put it that way and it was really nicely explained. Now, as a byproduct of that, you actually bring in a centralized point of control where compliance, regulatory, and even ESG factors can be taken into consideration. So ESG at BCI, we have a global head of ESG, Jennifer Colson. Our principle at BCI has always been about not divestment, but engagement. Jennifer and her team are always engaging with companies to help move the needle towards more of a fair and equitable run place. And if they have certain issues with something, they just reach out. We as shareholders want to inspire change at those organizations. And that's what her and her team does. Now, that's at the top level for BCI. Now, if you think about the next level is portfolio management. How do you express ESG at portfolio management? So every portfolio manager will have an investment process. Traditionally, what we've always had is financially sound companies go through screens and are added as part of the investment process and are part of your portfolio construction. The world has changed now and ESG is now compulsory part of the investment process. So when you're screening for companies and you're making investments, ESG is part of it. Our first, I would say, go at ESG as part of the investment process was really about how do we balance purchasing financially sound companies and companies that do right. And after myself and Jennifer did a lot of research in the market, we landed on launching a quantitative ESG product. We spent about 18 months going to all of our clients and saying, what do you think about this? It allows an algorithm almost to ensure by downloading ESG factors and downloading financial factors to ensure that we're always balancing financially sound companies and companies that do right. So that would be the second step. Now, when you drill through into those ESG factors, women on boards could be a factor. Different levels of fairness could be a factor. And that's where you start to get, I would say, the DNI component, as you had mentioned, being integrated into the ESG more of a bottom-up process. Now, even a fundamental portfolio manager is also using ESG screens as part of their process. Because a pension is not like a hedge fund. We're not always churning stocks. There's a good opportunity that a portfolio manager will look at a name and then they will run it through the ESG team. Ask Jennifer and her team, what do you think? Could you take a look for us? Maybe we missed something. And that's where these things start to come up and say, okay, these are some of the ESG red flags that investors are looking at. And so it really was a long journey to get there, but I would say it's a subset. So when you do everything centralized, you can start to control the investment process. So if there's a name that's sanctioned or there's a name that suddenly a headline comes up, my trading team can bring that to the portfolio manager's attention very quickly. Before it was just the price or a research upgrade, downgrade. Now ESG is screamed out. Hey, this company just had been flagged for lying about using recycled water in one of their plants or whatever it may be. That is now just ingrained in part of our process for every portfolio manager that's here. 
And it's difficult to get data sometimes in non-developed countries, but even emerging market countries are doing a very good job in trying to bring ESG factors to investors. And we run an active emerging market portfolio out of Victoria, fantastic team. And ESG is one of their number one screens that they do. And they actually go to the company and make sure that it's real. They don't even just take a statement for what it's worth. They actually go and we put boots on the ground. So it's something that we take very, very seriously. Yeah, it's certainly gained a lot of steam everywhere, as it should. We could probably have 10 podcasts on ESG alone, but it's clearly amazing the work that you've done and a lot of it formulaic within your centralized trading, which seems to be able to hit a lot of the targets on that, which is great. We'll just talk a little bit more about your white paper and about centralized trading. And if you want to or can give a brief summary of the success and what you've done with that, and then maybe talk a little bit about you see it as a path forward for all asset managers. What happens to the ones that can't overcome the barriers that might exist? So centralized trading kind of was something that we had planned here as part of our business plan to put a lot of business units together. When it comes to derivatives, you want to have one central point of control and you want it on a cross-asset basis because pensions are trading derivatives in huge size. And it's quite a spaghetti, I would say, if it's not centralized to kind of keep risk management and controls in place. So when I was hired, there was not much of a derivatives program here. So one of the things I made sure was to centralize it as much as I could and to have one way of thinking. The trading desk is the second kind of Lego piece that goes into the centralized function. What we developed at BCI was a system called One Wallet. At one point, I had no way to know what we were paying our partners, what services we were receiving. And after creating One Wallet, it allowed us to ensure that we were always receiving fair services for fair payment. And the way One Wallet works at BCI, we get all the data of how we pay our partners and what services we're receiving and products we're receiving. And then we also have another subset, what we call beats instead of tweets, is where somebody can give a star. So after this meeting, I could say, I had a wonderful chat with Brooke or Rowana and give RBC or ESEC lending a rating. Anytime senior management is in a meeting, they can hit a button and get a report. So they're well-informed, they're walking into a meeting, it's a data-driven meeting. You are ranking number four in fixed income derivatives. Your revenues have been trending okay, and your service level has been trending down. So we can have very data-based conversations, and that's what the trading desk is able to do because they can see how much we pay a partner and be able to aggregate services to be able to award larger mandates and for us to be able to get more competitive pricing. And then the last component is really about how can this centralized function service the whole firm? And what we realized was that during the pandemic, we were getting a lot of inbound inquiries from our partners, from our peers, asking how we were set up. And the setup allowed us to make sure that if we had a quant machine running from home on home Wi-Fi or traders, because everything was centralized through our one wallet, we were able to keep very tight controls and not miss out on anything. And actually, where some people who were decentralized were in a position of weakness, we learned that the centralized function actually put us in a position of strength. And so we started documenting all of this right from the beginning. And we didn't want to do anything theoretical. We wanted to sort of get 
something in place that somebody could pick up and it was practical in the asset management industry. And we talked to our partners about it and eventually evolved into this white paper that we released just a short time ago into the public domain. And we've gotten a lot of different feedback, a lot of different inquiries, how to partner with us on different things. And ultimately, we want to inspire the centralized trading principle. There are some limitations because it is a lift. Definitely, if you don't have the right technology and talent in place, you do have to invest in cross-asset talent, which is not always easy to source, but you can invest in your talent and systems and technologies. We've learned that there's amazing systems for many of the different things we do, but those systems are not really engineered all to talk to each other. So you have to kind of build something to get that one view. And so that's going to take some capital and time to invest. And if you're a small asset manager who isn't really a big payer to the street and has a limited amount of products that you trade, it may not be something that's beneficial for you. If you are operating in different jurisdictions, for us, you know, we're kind of light Canada, but very heavy global, having a centralized function and working closely with your compliance and legal team allows you to have great stakeholder alignment to be able to execute in different jurisdictions. That also requires heavy investment, but a pension is going to be around for a very long time. And so for us, making those investments today might be a little bit negative, but over the time, what we have seen is the amount of savings based on the size and volume of transactions, the payback is very quick. And then you actually are getting other multiple benefits as we're so that's what we want to inspire and we would like it to ultimately provide dot leadership in that space inspire other white papers and bring others to the table and hear how they have experienced the advantages of centralized trading or, or disadvantages great thank you samir i think we've covered a lot of ground here it's great to get your perspective on what bci is doing on the little island of victoria out in british columbia i love the fact that it's a reflection of the entire country i think that kind of put it in perspective for me anyway that it's not just localized it's global whether it's investing or if it's dni strategies mentoring supporting within it's great to know that you're doing that all from the little island out there <laughs> And it's your organization such as yourself, I find are really important and I enjoy partnering with them. I know people like to be part of these organizations because you can banter with people who are in the same position as you and you can learn a lot from others. So thank you for inviting me on this podcast. I'm really honored to be here and keep up the good work with your organization. Thank you so much. It means a lot having your support. Yes, thank you so much, Samir. It's a pleasure to have you. And allyship, especially for the Women in Security Finance Group, is huge. And you certainly outlined some key initiatives that BCI have done. And I think it'll resonate with a lot. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And a big thank you to our featured speakers from this episode. And of course, all the active Women in Securities Finance members that are driving real change in our marketplace today. If you have ideas for future episodes or would like to get involved, please visit our website or you can contact Women in Securities Finance via LinkedIn. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employer organizations. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice. 
There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.